Thank you, Jesus. Such a privilege to stand behind this sacred desk. And I really see it as a sacred desk. It's a privilege to serve him. It's not a chore. And if it is a chore, then something's broken in me or you. David said, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, it's so grievous for so many. Hard to get people to come out, especially post-COVID. My wife accidentally called it, called it 9-11. I said, well, it's the second 9-11. The first one hit trade centers, and the second one hit each and one of us. And, and, and it brought fear. I know of a man, he's a good man, but he's so riddled with fear because he's listened to the media, he's listened to the news. I'm going to tell you right now, be careful little ears what you hear. And realize that 90% of the stuff that comes across those airwaves is nothing more than propaganda. I just heard that the Portland uh, Press Herald's been bought out by a very liberal nonprofit company that is not going to need uh, to, to, to fund themselves by the subscriptions of the people, but by the philanthropy of world leaders that will fund it so that they can indoctrinate. I'm going to tell you, the devil's busy. But you know something, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But how much of me will I give him? You know, we sometimes go through things in our lives, and we really need to stop and think about it. And we need to think that it could be that there's something in me that God wants to get. That's why David said, Church my heart, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. David understood what it was to walk outside of the counsel of God. God told him that in his household there would be, uh, there would be uh, no peace. Uh, we know Absalom, he killed one of his half-brothers because his half-brother raped his sister. And we could go on and on about the chaos that was in the house of David. And that wasn't because God turned his back on David. It was because David turned his back on God. But thank God that he had a repentant heart. That's why God said, David's heart is after me. And the reason is, is because he's, he was a repentant man. When Nathan came to him and told him that a man in the nation uh, had, um, you know, had, had killed uh, a, a man, killed a man and took his lamb and slayed the lamb for um, his friends. And David said, that man should die. And Nathan spoke to him and said, you're the man. But God has mercy. And aren't you glad for his mercy? God could strike us dead. But he doesn't. I was listening to Smith Wigglesworth this morning. One of my favorite. And, and how do you hear him? But there's books that people read, that read online, that, that, that he had uh, spoken. There were sermons. And uh, some of the readings are really good. And, and this one particular reading, uh, the man, Smith Wigglesworth, was talking about a man in Canada who was so blessed by God. 
I mean, he was so blessed by God. But all of a sudden, under peer pressure, he began to baptize people in the name of Jesus. Now, this is Smith Wigglesworth's own words. And he said, and all of a sudden, his anointing left, and every, all the people left, and everything crumbled. And he was in such despair, he said to Smith Wigglesworth, what can I do? Smith Wigglesworth said to him, repent. And God will restore all that you've lost. Isn't that wonderful? That God doesn't look at you and say, ah, you blew it for the last time. I'm done with you. God doesn't do that. God cares about us. He cares about every one of you. So we all should look inward and say, Lord, search my heart. That's painful because I promise you, he'll find things you didn't even know were there. And then what do we do with them? We bring them to the Lord and say, Lord, if you're in some kind of a financial situation, always look to say, Lord, is this financial crisis something that I am creating? We need always to look at that. Is, is the sickness something that I am creating because I'm walking in rebellion? You see, the Bible said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. And there are people that are constantly in trouble. There are people that are constantly, uh, in, you know, going through things. And, and even Jesus said to Judas, he said, the poor you will always have with you. Why? Because there's sin in the world. But what we need to understand is that we don't need to live in poverty. Now, I might be cash poor sometime. What I mean by that is, you know, I reach my pocket and I've only got $5 and, and I needed 10 I mean, that happens once in a while. But that doesn't make you poor. Poor is a way of thinking. It's, it's sinfulness. And there are people that, that habitually, even in the church, I remember one man uh, one time uh, was a me member of our church. Uh, he was a, he never missed a service, but we were talking about issues. We were talking about issues uh, uh, like abortion and things like that. And 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 we said, I said to him, I said, so how are you going to vote? He said, I'm going to vote for the Democrats. I said, but they are pro-abortion. They're this, that, and that. He said, I I can't get into that. I just got to protect my check. This was in the church. It's not, uh, this man's passed away now. But he would vote for his check rather than to glorify God. I'll tell you this right now. When you give, it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. But that man died poor. He never understood what it was to live under the presence and the, and, and, and the, the blessings of God. I just want you to know that God is good. I left my sword on the communion table. The Lord is great. How many know this is your sword? This is your strength. This is the power. Greater is he that is in me than he, is he that is in the world. Thank you, Lord. God is so precious, so good, so holy. We just love him. Hebrews. Chapter 13. One verse of scripture. Hebrews tw uh, chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not the church that is supposed to conform to the, to the, to the ways of these new, newer generations. It is the newer generations that are called to conform to the teachings of the church. I've, I know many pastors who have gotten so frustrated, and many are exiting the pulpit because of the pressure that is put upon them to, to appease uh, uh, a, a lifestyle that, that is contrary to the word of God. You see, the thing that we need to understand is that, is that when God makes my mind whole, and the Bible said he will if we'll pray for it, that then my reason and, and, and my, my frontal part of my brain begins to operate properly. And then with that reason, let me tell you, God wants us to reason, but he wants us to reason through him and not in carnal understanding. So we realize here that Christ is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. You see, many will seek to endure through fame and honor and position, but how soon are the famous forgotten? I saw a, a thing last night about a great author up in, um, up in Canada, and what they were doing when they were touring his house was all taken in weeds. Everything had fallen down. But then they would go back and show little pieces of his interview in, fr in his house. How beautiful it was. How all of this was. And now here it was in total ruin. I'm going to tell you this right now. Fame is but for a season. I think of a boxer that, that said, I will serve the Lord, but I can't right now because what would my friends think of me? That same year, somebody uh, uh, he was in the ring and somebody hit him just right and broke his jaw. And, and, uh, and, and after that, they called him Stumble Bum because every time a boxer would get in the ring, he knew that that jaw was the place to hit him and every time they hit him in that jaw he would fall and in the newspaper stumble bum you know so i want you to know something fame is 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 fleeting it isn't about fame it's not about money i i saw a thing yesterday where it said how much money would it take for you to be secure and to be happy in retirement How much money would it take to be secure and to be happy in retirement? I'm going to tell you, but money doesn't secure you, and money does not uh, uh, make you happy. I think of a queen, I believe it was a queen of England some many years ago that was on her deathbed, and a preacher came to her, and he said, what is it that you would want? And she said, I would give all of my riches for one minute of life without pain. She was on her deathbed. She was dying in great agony and great pain. I'm going to tell you, your money will flee is, 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 is fleeting. It, it, it'll go away. I love what one man said. He says, a money, um, a stored up money is like, uh, like putting in a bag of holes. You'll look and it won't be there anymore. You see, we don't serve money. Money can serve us. I believe that money is a tool. The, the love of money 
is the, uh, is, is the greatest of sins. But the Bible says, and we realize and understand that as Peter said to the Lord, he said, how will we pay our taxes? And he went down and he found, he said, go get a fish and there'll be a coin in the fish's mouth. And he said, it will be enough to pay yours and my taxes. So we know that Peter understood that there is a time you might need a screwdriver. And money is like a screwdriver. It, you know, how many of you have tried to fix something without the proper tool? I watched my wife the other day trying to fix something. She had a knife, and she was going through, and she said to me, said, do you have a, a Phillips screwdriver? And she was she was fumbling and fumbling at it using the improper tools made the job that much more difficult and finally she quit and went and found a screwdriver she realized that the inadequate tools just were not going to be able to do the job and that's what money is it's a tool god will never call you into something where he won't provide tools to go into that but I want you to know that your money will flee from you if that's what you're, you're, you're basing everything on. Some rely upon friends. I, I want to go back just a little bit again and talk about a man who retired. And he had everything all set up. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. But unfortunately, he came down with an illness called Parkinson's disease. You know something? You can plan all you want. You can say, I'm going to save up this much money. I'm going to do this. I want you to know, he said, take no thought for what you shall wear or what you shall eat. In fact, when he sent the disciples, he said, take no money. I'm going to teach you how to walk by faith. That's what faith school theology was all about. They didn't even provide. They said, you pray for your toothpaste. You, you pray for your soul. You, you pray for those things. Why? Because if they could teach them to pray for the small things, they would eventually understand that God is the God that will, um, that will provide for them in the big things. I remember a man, I've, I've been a pastor a long time, over 35 years. Almost, it was going on 31 here. But I remember a man one time who came to me. He said, you notice I don't put anything in the offering. I said, well, I didn't. Maybe I'd keep my eye on it. <laughs> I didn't say anything. And he said to me, I'm going to tell you this right now, though. I play the mega box regularly, and my number is just about to come in, and you are going to be first on my list. And I, I told him, I said, sir, God doesn't want what you don't have. He wants what you do have. And so the woman that gave the mite, a little wooden, wasn't even metal, a little piece of wood that had a very minuscule value, and she threw it in the, in the trumpet, and not one sound was given. And Jesus looked at her, and he marveled, and he said, This woman has given more than you all. And they said, but, Pat, but, but, uh, but Lord, we've heard the ringing of a very heavy coins on that horn. And, and we heard nothing when she, she threw it. He said, I'm going to tell you this. He said, she gave out of her need all that she had. 
You see, Jesus saw that. Jesus knows, and I want you to you say, well, I want, I want more. God said, well, number one, what are you doing with what you have? I, I know a man, I, a man who's a great pastor and a mentor to me uh, named Philip Saunders, Dr. Philip Saunders. And uh, when he was up in Canada, you know, he, he got saved and, and he would pray and, and um, had no formal education in, in the things of God, but he would really have a heart to desire and seek him. And he would go into the grocery store and when, a per, when, a, when he saw a very poor family in that small community, he would go over there and pay for their groceries. And his wife would say to him, Honey, we can't even afford our own. He said, I don't care. He said, I can't let them go without. When he died, he, he, was, he, he was in charge of a multi-million dollar um, ministry that gave to people all over the world. You see, because God watched him. He watched him in what he had. He watched him when he gave out of his need. He watched him when his wife even said, Honey, you can't keep doing this. And he said, I can't let them go home hungry. Faithful. You know, we pray for our needs rather than to say, Lord, help me to see the needs of others. Jesus said, and this is not in my writing, but Jesus said when they were gathered and the, and the disciples come and said, look, it's, it's, it's getting real hot out and, and they have nothing to eat. Send them away that they may eat. He says, what have you? You hear what I'm saying? What have you? And you know what they said? Oh, but we, we, there's a young lad here who's got a lunch. His mother gave him a few fishes and a few loaves. But what is that amongst this great multitude? Jesus says, sit them down. And they obeyed the Lord and sat them down. And he took the, the fishes and the, and the loaves. And he blessed them and he broke them. And not only was there enough there to feed the multitudes that were there, there was 12 baskets of fragments left over. That's a lot of leftovers. And he, they gave them to the lad. You imagine him dragging that home to mom and saying, Mom, you wouldn't believe what happened. The, Jesus took my few fishes. He took my few loaves. And when he got done praying, man, not only did he feed the thousands, but he left enough so that look at all we have, Mom. We're blessed. Number one, we have to realize in the story that the lad had to be willing to give up. They didn't just poke him and say, give me that lunch, buddy. Jesus wants it. Now, it he, he, had to, he had to voluntarily say, here, you can have this. You see, stinginess is the lack of faith and the lack of belief. I believe that God is able. I've given my whole life to this. Now, I've shared with you before. When I came here, they offered me $50 a week for a family of four. Now, how does that work mathematically? You understand what I'm saying? But what we realize now, when you give, God will give it back. He will bless you. He will, he will keep you. You see, what a wonderful thing is for me... To be, to be honored by God to give into his kingdom. The dividends 
of giving into his kingdom, let me tell you this right now, are greater than you'll ever get on the stock market. They're greater than you'll ever get in the bank. They're greater than you'll ever get in any purchase that you make. It's the greatest of all. Maybe you put your stock in friends. Well, I've got friends. I want you to know that friends are friends only in sunny weather. Can I say it again? Friends are friends only in sunny weather. You think about it, and maybe when you were in the world, you said, I was kind of popular in the world. And, and, and you know, I had drinking people, and, and now I've become a Christian, and, and, and I don't have all these friends. Let me tell you what, they were not your friends. They were your drinking acquaintances. Somebody said to me recently, I've got a permit to go moose hunting. I probably won't go. The logistics just seem overwhelming to me to even be able to do that. And somebody said, well, get a bunch of your friends. And, and that's the way to do it. Well, you know something? I, I, I looked and I'm thinking, uh, well, hey, that's fine. But what we realize is, number one, when you know the Lord, he is your friend. Amen? And, 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 and you, can, you can trust him always. And you can, can love him and, and, and go on. See, the world has lots of drinking. But what they, they go and they play cards and swear and drink and, and do the things that the world does. But they're not friends. They're comrades. Jesus said, I'm closer than a friend. I'm closer than a brother. I am a friend. He said to Judas, he didn't say, Judas, how dare you do what you did? He went to Judas after Jesus betrayed him, and he said, friend. In other words, all I've ever done has been a friend to you. But what have you done? You've sold me for 30 pieces of silver. And what was his fate? Jesus said afterward, he said, it would be better that that man were never born than to sell me short because I am a true friend. Jesus Christ the same. I think of these four words and how marvelous and how they bring satisfaction in the sense that he is the same. I don't have to worry about whether he will change. I had a man, I was up north, and, and this man, uh, he, he talked to me on the, um, on, on the wharf there, and he said, hey, come on over and see my place. And I'm kind of excited. Hey, you know, he invites me over. But I went over the Friday morning, he told me to go, he wasn't there. I went on Monday, and he looked at me, and I spoke a few words, said, okay, you can get now. I go back to my wife. She said, where you been, Well, <laughs> I said, and I looked at another neighbor, and the neighbor went. <laughs> I think the body language said, scram but you want to know something I know a friend I know a friend that sticks closer than a brother and he never changes people change 
You ever been around someone that when they're hanging with you, you, you're the best, all of a sudden somebody else at it and they ditch you? Pretty painful, isn't it? Oh, I've been there. You know, I've been there. That's human nature. You know, they say two is company, three is a crowd. But the thing you need to understand is, is don't get your satisfaction in how men treat you or how men think. Think about Jesus. He loves you. You say, I've, I've messed up. God, that's, you know, you messed up. Let me tell you this right now, and I'm going to share this. God knew you were going to mess up before he even took you and loved you. God is not on a learning curve with you. He's not saying, well, Lord, uh, we haven't. Let me cross my fingers and, and, and hope. And I'm having, I've got to cross these. I can't cross them. But anyway, I've got to cross these fingers and, and hope. Father, I pray that he'll be faithful. Lord, I hope he will. Oh, Lord. And you can see Jesus up there pacing back and forth and back and forth. And saying, oh, I don't know. You think he'll do it or, or you think he won't. That is not the Jesus he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end. He knew exactly what you were going to do the day that you got saved. God is not on a learning curve. Somebody years ago came to my office and they said, well, when I tell you what I've done, you're going to fall out of your seat. I said, try me. They told me what they had done. It was a pretty horrible thing. It wasn't the first time I've heard that. And I said, you notice I'm still sitting in my seat. You know why? Because I said, Paul said, there is no sin that is not common to man. You think you're a freak? And that's what the devil will always do. He drags us off in a corner and says, you are a freak. You are a, um, um, an imposter. You ever feel like an imposter? I have. I mean, one time I was in a and, and what I mean is that by that is I was in a business meeting in Georgia, and most of these people were so renowned in areas of success, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? But I want you to know something. I was there because God placed me there. Because God was trying to teach me something. You're not insignificant. He said, I have no respecter of 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 children. I raise each and every one of them in my, in, you know, in my sight. And, and that's the thing. The Bible says that, you know, in the, uh, that there'll be those that will say to the poor, you sit down here, and to the rich, you come up here. That's not the way of God. The thing we need to realize is that even though you may have a feeling, doesn't mean that it's true. Even though you have a feeling, doesn't mean that it's true. The Bible says, let every man be a liar and let God's word be true. What does that mean? When my feelings come against the word of God. If I, if I sit there and feel like an imposter, God has said, no. That is an illegitimate feeling and is to be rebuked by the presence and power of God. Sometimes I need to rebuke Bob. I need to say, no, that is not true. Because we can say, oh, how stupid I am. I did that backwards. Have you ever, you know, you, nowadays when you buy stuff, it's usually not assembled. 
But I guess it's something about the men is, is they really like to assemble it without looking at the, at the directions. I, I think there's something about that, and, and I will do that. And I get it all up and ready and going, and all of a sudden they look, and there's a part on the floor. It doesn't work, and it says, step one, <laughs> assemble this. And what happens, you know what that means? I've got to undo that whole thing to assemble that thing that I missed. We've all been through those things. But I want you to know that God is faithful. He is mighty. In John 21 and 18, the gospel according to said, Most certainly, I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked where you wanted to. But when you were old... You will stretch forth your hand, and another will dress you and carry you where you will not want or don't want to go. Now, we know that he was talking to Peter. But I do believe, and I could do a, a, a word study, but I'm not going to go there this morning. But the fact of it is the circumstances in life are not always going to stay the same. As I get older, I realize there is limitations that, that I didn't have when I was younger. One of the things I realize is balance. Balance becomes more difficult as you get older. But what God needs to realize is that even though your body changes, even though uh, your physical physique might change, God said, I never change. I'm with you. In 2 Peter 3 and 3, it says this, Knowing this first, that in the last days, mockers will come walk, uh, walking after their own ways. And is that not true today? We're seeing that more and more. And people will come into the church, and I'll come into the church and join the church. But this is the way I want it. Well, this isn't Burger King. And what we need to understand and realize in that is that it's, God, it's a theocracy. Number one, God told me about this house. He said, this is not the church. He said, this is an embassy. Let me tell you, when you're in a foreign country and you walk into United States embassy, you walk under that flag and under the laws of that country. You hear what I'm saying? When you walk into the embassy of the kingdom of God, what do you walk into? You walk into the laws and the ordinances of the kingdom of heaven. It's not a democracy in this house. It is a theocracy. It is God rule. And that's a difficult thing for the flesh to, 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 to swallow. Well, you're being, you're being uh, critical or you're just being old-fashioned. How many know that God... And I'll get into that in a little while. Too often we find that those around us cannot be counted on. I, I was reading, because just for the fun of it, I, I was reading, uh, it was something that came up when I was reading about the Hells Angels. And, and they talked about their code of ethics. And one thing in the Hells Angels is, is they do not allow people to miss meetings. They call it, uh, they had a name for it, and, and they don't allow people to come in late. And I'm thinking to myself, the hell's angels have a better policy than we do. <laughs> you, you see what I'm trying to tell you, though? 
We're living in a lax society where the pressure is on the pastor to change his way. I want to tell you this about a, a police officer. If a police officer lives next to a man that is his neighbor and he finds out that his neighbor has broken a grievous law, wouldn't you expect that police officer to uphold the law and arrest him? Isn't that fair? How many know that God is, I've, made, I've, I've sworn an oath to God. And the oath that I swore to God is that I'd be faithful to his word and that I would preach his word, that I would not compromise on his word, that I would, I would uh, teach his word and I'd be faithful to it. I would not change the word to, to cater to my thinking or my feelings or, or, or even my actions. But I would change my feelings and my, and, and my ways and my actions to the word of God. You see, every time I preach a message, it's first preached to me. Because I am not an island to myself. I, I am not. It, Paul said this. He said, though I preach the gospel to you, and if I in any way would, 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 uh, would not live according to it, he said, I would become a castaway. In other words, I'd be rejected. And I'd be rejected because I was not fervent to say, Lord, forgive me, help me, restore me, bring me back into that proper place that I need to be instead of changing the word to cater to my desires. You see, each and every one of us really need to make that oath to the Lord. We can take great comfort in knowing that our Savior is referred to in Isaiah uh, uh, 9, 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Counselor, a Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. You can't alter that. That's who he is. And, and, and when we come to know him, then we can be transformed. And I'll share that later, how we can become like him. But we realize here again, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. There is an eternity locked up in these words. In fact, eternity stands on either side of Christ today or whenever he stands. When Jesus died on the cross, the blood was shed. Let me tell you this. The blood went back and that's why he was on the hill. The blood ran both ways. Everybody that died in the Old Testament had to die in faith of a blood that would be shed that would redeem them. All of the Old Testament ceremonial laws were their keeping and believing in a Messiah to come. And that Messiah, when he come, would become the sacrificial lamb. I think of Sadducees and, and, and Pharisees that said, uh, we're of our father Abraham. He said, no, you're not. You're of your father the devil because if you were of your father Abraham, you would know me because he knew me. So you have to understand that when the blood was shed, it went backward and forth. Why? Because he is, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's omniscient.
strictly speaking, there is no past tense with the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is no past tense with that. And what that means is he always was. From the beginning, even before the beginning. In fact, in John 8, 58, it says, Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, I was. He said, I am. What does that mean? Present tense. That means I'm already there. As well as say, he didn't say, well, before Abraham, I was. He said, before Abraham, I am. Remember how the, when the father spoke to, Abraham, uh, spoke to Moses, he said, what shall I tell Pharaoh? He said, you tell him I am that I am. I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not have to say past tense. He could say, it's still present with me. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I am those things. I am those things. And I'm all that is in between. And in Colossians said, and everything that was made was made by me. By me. And nothing that was made was, was not made by me. He said, I made everything for my own pleasure. How many know it all belongs to him? Everything, including. And you say, well, I'll give a tenth. How many know God owns all of it? God owns you, whether you like it or not. And God owns me. Can he not set his own rules? Can he not say this is the way? Did he not say if you keep my commandments you show me the love that you have for me? Did he not say those things? In John 1, 1 and 2. He says in the beginning was the word. The word is with God. And the word was, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Wow. What we have to understand is the Word is God. So when somebody tells me that the Word is outdated, they're saying God's outdated. That's what they're saying. They're saying that Jesus is outdated. You know what the Bible says? He, said, uh, he says, uh, uh, the Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible also says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. Why? Because Jesus is the word. For me to alter the word, you know what it says in Revelation? It said, if any man to change one dot or one, one comma, one punctuation mark, he said he's in danger of hell's fire. Because God knew in the last days they would want to rewrite it. And, and there are translations out there that are written by one man. I wouldn't trust a translation that is written by one man. What you have to realize is when you look at the King James, and I'm not, you know, this is an NIV. Uh, personally, I still love the King James because I'm 64 years old, and I memorized all my scriptures of the King James, so I guess I'm just going to stick with it, even if you call me old-fashioned. But what we realize in, in, in this is that if you read the beginning of the King James, you'll see the agony they went through and all the procedures that were put in place to keep one person from having a view that may be different. These were scholars. In the history, it says that every time they came to the, to the name of God, 
they would go and wash and cleanse themselves before they come back and they would write it. I mean, this was serious. This is the Word of God. This is the canon. This is the, the, the 66th book. This is what God has handed down to you and I. And the fact of it is, is there are those as well. There was a bunch of old men smoking in the back room, got together and decided to put a bunch of stuff together. Okay, well, let's look at what's happening right now around the world. And then you look at the scripture and show some old men in the back room smoking and just put stuff together. I did read something funny recently. And it showed from 1950s a spaceship. And the spaceship had kind of transformed, not a lot, but, you know, from that silver disc down. And, and they said and the reason that it still looks similar today is they're using the same uh, telescope. And they showed a, a marijuana joint. <laughs> I, th I just thought it was funny. That's all. <laughs> um, just struck me. I didn't repost. <laughs> Amen. I didn't own it, but I didn't think it was funny. We must never neglect to acknowledge the eternal preexistence of Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that he was created in Colossians 1. He was the first begotten. But what that means is that he took the place of the first begotten because he came to die for you and for me. So, so we can understand. But they misquote and misinterpret it and uh, misuse the word. Their interpretation is flawed. The same with the Mormons. They say that he that he is uh, that he's a, a brother and he's an angel that's flawed he is the I am that I am and Jesus said I am before Abraham was I am those are flawed interpretations isn't it funny how the devil you know he doesn't care how he deceives you and I love what my old pastor used to say. Back then, remember the Harry Harry Krishnas? They were real big back in the 70s, you know, and, they would, and they'd shave their heads bald, and they would go out there, and they would get into their little pose, and um, um, and, and people would say, whoa, that's deep, man. These people have got something. Well, they got something all right, but it isn't what you want to catch. And the fact of it is, 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 is uh, my pastor said to me, he said, now let me ask you a question. Would you sooner be deceived by him or by somebody like a Mormon who tells you they believe in Jesus? They, they, they tell you all these things. He said, you'd be more apt to be deceived by a Mormon. Why? Because the closer the devil can get to the truth, and yet be an, but, but, but yet it not be true, the more easily it is to entice I never but thank God I've never been enticed because I believe the word of God I stand upon the word of God and I let the word of God live in me in Genesis 127 so God created man in his own image think about that 
God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he him male and female. Why does the world have such trouble today? You see, when you, when you, when you get out of the, the, the scripture, you, you'll believe foolishness. I saw a man last night, and he, th this, this man, uh, dressed like a woman, was challenging one of our senators. And he, and, and he said to the senator, he said, you tell me that I'm not a woman. He said, people, he said, the people around me all tell me I'm a woman. And you know what the senator said? He said, if my friend called me tonight and said, hey, you know you're a man, I'd think he'd lost his marbles. Because it's quite obvious. But yet you live because you, and you need people to tell you you're something you're not. See, we're living in a crazy world where, where, where so many things are changing. And that's why we need the Word of God. We need to teach the Word of God to our children. Because if we don't, the secular woke world will teach them ethics that are totally contrary to the Word of God. You see, when I was a, a young man, situational ethics had, had just really come into the schools. And unfortunately, uh, it came into the Bible school. Our English teacher uh, was uh, a, also a, um, a secular teacher, but he thought he would come in and he'd teach English to the Bible school. And so this is one question he posed. Okay, he said, uh, there's eight people here, uh, uh, four of them are children, uh, you know, two of them are, are young adults, and, and also uh, there is a, a female there, and, and she's about 28 years old. He said, and then there's an old man. He, he's probably 80 years old. And the boat only carries seven. He said, so what are you going to do when your boat is over capacity and all will drown if a decision isn't made? And you know, the answer that he had was, throw the old man out of the boat. That's the society we're beginning to live in. You see, first in our society, we'll be told that we, can, we have the right to die. Just choose. You have a right to die. But let me tell you what happens when that slippery slope. And then all of a sudden, you go to Aetna, your insurance coverage, or, or you know, for... Um, for Medicare, and they say, you have an option. And if you don't take that option, guess what? We're not going to insure you anymore. And what will that option be? Death. You see what's happening in our society is slowly changing. In fact, now it's becoming rapid. We had a legislator on our radio program, and, uh, and she uh, was talking about now our laws allow an abortion up to 10 seconds before it's born, and you know they'll lie, and they'll kill them after they're born. They'll lie. And, and, and one person told me the reason for this law and the reason it's been put is because in the last trimester, all of the organs are saleable. The liver, the heart. It's a multi-billion dollar business to, do, to, to sell these organs of the last trimester. 
the first two trimesters, they can't do that. They still sell parts of the body. It's sick, isn't it? Are we living in a sick day? See what happens when we get away from the word of God that is so clear? And I said to her, jokingly, I said, yeah, next thing you know, the, the, they'll, they'll be killed in the, killing the elderly. She said, where have you been? I'm there, what? You're already doing it. I mean, this is the society that you and I are living in. If you look at Obamacare and you look at the fine print, and, and I've, I've heard it, where it says that, that the money that they'll spend on you is according to the value that you still have in you. And they number that value by your age. Ah, he's not worth a gallbladder surgery. Out with him. He'll either die by lethal injection or he'll just suffer until he dies. That would be his choice. But can't you see the slippery slope? I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm educating you a little bit. And I'll tell you what's happening. This same mindset is coming into the church. Mary Rose, they have Lifehouse up, up in Hebrew now. The first woman that's living there, going to have her baby on the 13th. Exciting. Okay? Well, they had a big donor. And they were so happy to have the donor. But then the donor read their bylaws and said, well, unless you become pro-transgender... And, and, and pro, uh, you know, homosexual and those things in your bylaw, we're going to withdraw our, our money. Thank God. I would have been, I would have withdrawn mine if they had, if they'd allowed their money to stay. But they had to let that one go because it said, we cannot, we must obey. Isn't that what Peter said when he said, go out and, and do whatever you want, build churches, do whatever you want, but do not use the name of Jesus. There'd be no power. You took Jesus out of the equation. What is it? It's just good works. But it has no meaning. Because the meaning is in Christ. And Christ has put the meaning in Christmas. And, in, and he's put the meaning in life. And they said, is it obey, better to obey man or God? You see, we're living in a day today, and I don't mean to hold you forever here, but I do want you to understand that this woke mindset wants to come into the church, and it wants to come into the church through young people because they are totally and completely deceived. They have been brainwashed deliberately. As I told you a week ago, there's an advertisement about a main for middle-aged men to check back into the to the university will pay for a certain amount of it you know what they really want they want to check you in to indoctrinate you so you'll stop running around with that flag on your pickup truck and that rifle hanging in your back window that's what they want to do they want to cleanse uh, uh, the society from 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 your being able uh, to, to, to arm yourself. You're, and, and I'm not here to be pro-gundative, but I am telling you, though, we have inalienable rights that they want to destroy. Obama said that the Constitution is an old rag. Aren't they saying that, too, about the Bible? Because, you know, our Constitution was written by the morals of this word. 
And they want to they dispel it. So we need to understand that we are fighting. Fight for your children. Share with them the books of the Bible. Let them know that God has, has clearly spoken to each and every one of us. I'm going to read that one more time and I've got to go on here. In Genesis 1, 27, it said, God created man in his own image. Let me tell you that. There's nothing more honorable than to be created in the image of our creator. But he doesn't stop there. He said, in the image of God created he him male and female. But we've lost our senses. And I could go back over it and I'm not going to. But what of the Jesus of modern history? Well, let's look at number one. He was born in another man's stable. He was buried in another man's tomb. This is true. He lived in a little town less than the size of Rhode Island. Uh, you know, a, a, a place, a very, very small place. In his public ministry, he never traveled more than 100 miles from home. In other words, he got up to Pittsfield, but he never got any further than that. Or, or he got down to Kittery, and, and maybe a little bit, more, but never any further than that. That's all he ever did. He wrote no books. He led no army. He left his truth with a few plain, unpromising disciples. That's all, he, that's all he left it with. He died a death as a criminal. And yet, that life stands alone. What he said and did proves who he is. In Matthew 16, 16, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Today, Christ is so divisive. Now, how could a man that only went 100 miles from his home be so among us today? <coughs> how could a man that never led an army, no, he wasn't Napoleon, he wasn't a MacArthur. He wasn't a Patton. He just had 12 disciples. In fact, in the book of Acts, the, they say in the Bible, how could these unlearned men, that's, what they, that's how they looked at them, unpolished, unlearned, but yet the Holy Ghost come upon them. Can't you see that it can only be done through the supernatural? It can only be done through the supernatural. So if you're a scoffer, if you are, are, are one that would say, well, I don't know if I believe this, how come today the greatest curse word today is the name of Jesus? Why is it on every man's lips if it's just a man who never went more than 100 miles from home, never led an army, Born a criminal, uh, uh, died a criminal's death, thrown into a tomb that he didn't own, born in a stable that wasn't his parents. Think about that. And yet today, the whole world is in uproar 
about this name, the name of Jesus. But the Jesus Christ of yesterday did not end in a sealed tomb. You see, that's what, that's what the scribes and Sadducees, that's what the religious leaders and the lawgivers of the day wanted to make sure. They said, you know what? His disciples will come and steal him, and then they'll concoct this thing, seal the tomb. So they had, Her- I mean, they had Pilate send his armies, and they sealed the tomb. Let me tell you something about that stone, and I know it's not Easter, but, but that stone had a slot put in it so that when it rolled down into position, it was almost impossible to take it out because of gravity. But not only did they roll it down into position, they sealed it with the seal. And they put watches there. But you know, in spite of all the preparations and all they did, the, the stone was rolled away. And the tomb was empty. History will share that. Go to Josephus. Go to any of the historians of the day. And you'll hear the story. And the Bible says that there were many witnesses. If you go into a court of law. And you take multiple witnesses with you. It's going to weigh heavily. But it's funny though. That in the court of law of people's minds. They're not fair. Because I'll tell you why. If I chose him as my Lord, then I must be obedient unto him and not lean upon my own ways or my own understanding. As a pastor of this church, there's been so many times. It almost it grieves me to the point where it almost makes me sick. I want you to know that. It's not easy to stand against the pricks or the goads or, 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 or whatever, you know, he told Paul that he was withstanding but I want you to know something every human being whether a pastor or not we all have this need to be loved but what God said if you seek the love of man more than me you have no part of me and so what we realize in that is that there is a discipline that's what disciple means there is a discipline to serving the Lord. And I've got many more pages. I can't go further. I don't feel that I should today. But I want you to understand and to realize that if you're a man of God or a minister, you made a vow before God to be truthful, to, to make an oath, to uphold this word of God. This word of God is only as strong in, 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 as, as you will, will present it. And there are many broken. Let me tell you this right now. If I present something other than the Word of God, you know what? I love me more than you. I love me more than I love you. And the Bible says in the last days, they'll be lovers of themselves. Heady, high-minded. And the Bible said they'll have itching ears to hear, and they will go to whoever it is that will have their spirit of love of self and will give them what they want to hear. Samuel got a word from the Lord. God wasn't speaking to the house of God. 
And he went to Eli, and Eli said, go and lay on the bed, and if you hear it again, tell him, here I am, Lord. But when Samuel came back to Eli, Eli said to him this, you tell me exactly what God said, or let it be, a come up, let it be on you. That's quite a pressure. And so Samuel told Eli all that God had told him, that his sons would be destroyed, that, that the lives of all of them, that he's going to come in and judge the house of God for their, way, their, their wicked ways. And I'll tell you that he had to take it to a boy because he couldn't talk anymore to that house because of their decisions. They were lovers of self more than lovers of God. Eli loved his children, though they were doing evil things, raping women, stealing out of the, the, the treasury. But his love for them were more than his love for God. It never said that Eli raped anybody. It never said that he stole anything. In fact, I think in all ways, he, he, he kept himself very moral. But he was judged because he loved those around him more. And I'll tell you why we do that. Because we're seekers of pleasure. We want people to love us. And I'll tell you there's a pressure even upon this church and upon this pastor. To compromise. And you know what God said? You'll just end up like Eli. And I said, Lord, I don't want that in my life. I don't know how many times, and I am closing, I've sat behind that sacred desk that God's given me and cried like a baby and said, Lord, I never wanted to hurt anybody. And yet I have all these people that have become enemies. You know something? There'll be many that will be seekers of pleasure lovers of self and they'll come and say well I want the assurance that God can give me that I won't go to hell but I want to rewrite it according to my to fit my ways and my and my my needs and, and I want you to know something if you come to Christ the Bible said it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than it is to enter into the kingdom of God and what that means is we got to strip ourselves down. We have to cast off everything that will beset us. We need to, we need to repent of every sin that, 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 that keeps us. And we need to go to the Lord and say, Father, I am desperate for you today. My attitude hasn't been right. My motives have not been right. I've, I've, I've worried about losing my life, so I picked it back up again. I, I want to be young again. I want to do this, and I want to do that. I'm going to tell you this right now. That will only deter you from the God who loves you. It'll keep you from the God who loves you. And you know, and many people are sick, and he said that, and we said that about the communion. He said, because you took unworthily, he said, there are many sick and many uh, uh, that, that, that die among you. In other words, all that the sacraments mean, the healing, the life everlasting, all the things that it represents, 
you don't have because you took back the life that you had first given to God. And God is saying, I'm going to call you on it. I'm going to say this and I'm done. Don't become reprobate. I've had people come and ask me what it means to be reprobate. And I said, because you asked. I don't believe you are. Because what happens in a reprobate mind is they begin to believe their own lies. And they make their lies gospel. And then they charge you because you don't adhere to the lies that they speak. And that is a very dangerous place to be. And we should always seek God and say, Lord, don't spare your rod with me. Correct me. I am your child. I don't want to get away with it. I don't want to ease my conscience. I want my ways to be your ways. Do whatever it is that you need to do. Remember what he said about David, and I am done. He said, he's a man after my own heart. And you can say, what do you mean? He's had concubines. He's done this. He's had that. He counted the, the armies and, and, and angered God. He, he, you know, the things. And you're saying, what does it mean that he has, he's, he's a man of my own heart? Is the fact that David would, you could be corrected. And that's what the pastor's job is. It's to correct you. It's to teach you the truth. Not for you to exchange pastors because you didn't like him because he brought correction and how dare he. I got my own way of seeing it. There isn't any way to see it other than the way that God wrote it. It's his word. It will not lie. If it's written in the Bible, I'll believe it till the day I die. You see, what I'm preaching to you today, and why don't you all stand with me? What, what I'm preaching to you today is the good news. You know what the good news is? God loves you. He's with you. He wants to bring correction in your life because he loves you. There's an old saying that says, raise your children and you can spoil your grandchildren. But if you spoil your children, you raise your grandchildren. What we need to understand in that is that we all need discipline. And when you take discipline out of the church, the church loses its strength. The, the Bible loses its strength. We love him today. We love him. Thank God that he still speaks to us. Thank God that I came in this morning, maybe with a heavy heart. Thank God I came in this morning and, and the Lord reminded me of somebody that I was rude to. Thank God, because that means he's with you. It means you're not reprobate. It means it's a good day. God did not share those things with you to condemn you. For the Father said, I did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, they might be saved. Thank you, Lord. I want to take a time of, 
a prayer this morning. Um, ask my daughter if someone could push that button. I, I'd, I'd like to, uh, and thank you all you that are out there on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, we love you all, uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna end that part of it right now. Thank you. And if you want prayer today, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray that God will give you the deliverance that you seek, that God will give you the peace of mind. He'll give you the, the heart of understanding. I want you to know that God's a miracle working God. Now, you can say to yourself in your rational thinking, well, he says take some oil and, and, and anoint, uh, have the elders anoint them and, and, and pray for them. And you're thinking, how can that work? It's called obedience. Not that there's any magic in the oil. It's not that there's any magic in the person who prays for you. It's that if you would follow the commands that I give you and the patterns that I give you, I will meet you. If you want to come, I want you to come. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.